Well, good morning. And uh, on behalf of Grace Bible Church in Roseville, uh, greet you. And uh, they're, they're, minister- they're worshiping together right now. And, uh, but uh, we, are, we pray for the ministry here. We love the ministry here. And uh, many, of you, uh, you've, many of you have even housed people from our ministry um, who have come. Some of our young people have come down at various times. And so thank you for that and, and hosting them. And so we're grateful for the opportunity. And I, I've never been here. And so I was looking forward to as we were at the Shepherds Conference and, you know, Daniel, I think he's part of your membership here, um, that um, he was like, you know, hey, let's, let's go to Oceanside. I said, let's, let's do it. And so, you know, we're here and, uh, and then Angelo has uh, invited me to come and share the word with you this morning and um, grateful for that opportunity. It is a blessing to see some faces that I've known for a long time, but haven't seen in a while. And, you know, um, you know, as much as I've known Angela since 1992, I, I've known Jenny since she was almost a baby. And, uh, and, uh, and it, it's a joy to see her. And I don't know if she remembers me teaching fifth and sixth grade Sunday school on, at the Rangers Hall or whatever that was across the street from the Veterans Building. Um, and um, she, she and her sister were part of that and endured our... Uh, endured us as young guys trying to teach little ones about Christ. But this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 and looking at this whole idea of living out who we are. And if you could just follow along as I read that passage, and thank you for Angelo for reading verses 1 to 18 to setting the context for this. But in starting Hebrews 10 verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as it is a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you can join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for just this opportunity to come and allow your word to speak. We ask that you would prepare our hearts to embrace it, to receive it, prepare our minds to comprehend, and prepare our lives to be willing to submit and obey and respond. God, you want us to know you in a, in a way that impacts the way that we live. You want us to realize the blessings that come through Jesus Christ and the joy that we can have because of him. And so we pray this morning as we Spend time in your word that you would help us to see how blessed we are in knowing your son, Jesus Christ. Pray for Redeemer. What a joy it is to be with the brothers and sisters here this morning. And we pray for you to continue to use this work for your glory. God, may you continue to allow this to be a place that proclaims your son, that that proclaims the good news of the gospel and that souls would be saved. God, may this be a place where believers love one another, love your son, and it shows and it demonstrates itself in such a supernatural way. Oh, God, do a great work that only you can do for your glory. We pray this in your son's name. 
Amen. At our church, you know, one of the sort of sayings we have um, is that orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Right thinking or right teaching leads to right living. And, and in order for believers to know how to live, it requires knowing the truth and knowing the truth about who Jesus is, knowing the truth about what the Bible teaches, and, and knowing the truth about who a believer is because of Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a proper understanding of truth, if you don't have a proper understanding of Christ, if you don't have a proper understanding of what it means to be a believer, you're not going to live in a way that brings honor and glory to him. So right doctrine, orthodoxy, right teaching, right truth will impact the way that you live. And that's why the Christian life, a lot of it is spent studying and reading and trying to know the Word of God because this is where the truth is revealed. This is where Christ is revealed. This is where we gain an understanding of who He is and how we respond to who He is because it's in the Word. And for those of you who are trying to live the Christian life and not in the Word, that's impossible. It's like taking a class that you never went to. I've heard people do this in college. I don't know any of them, and I'm not saying I was one of them either. But when you're in college and you never go to class, but then you go for the exam because, hey, you know, I was too busy to go to class, but I know I need to take the exam. And, you know, theoretically, there were some of those types of guys that I lived with that did that. And when we get to the exam, we're like, ah, and you're just guessing. And, you know, back in the day of Scantrons, I don't know if they still use Scantrons, um, if that's still a thing. Scantrons, you know, everyone said, you know, shade and C, that's usually the best bet. And so you went with that or you just were creating a pattern on your Scantron, you know, whatever it may look like. And you were just hoping, you know, what? I hope this is right. Why? Because I don't know the material. That's the Christian life without you being in the Word and knowing about Christ and knowing about what the Bible teaches about Christ. You're guessing. You're guessing through life. And so it is important for you to understand the truth about who Christ is so that you may know how to live in response to him. And so much of what you'll see in the New Testament is that much of the first parts of the epistles start with teaching doctrine, start teaching truth. The Apostle Paul, in many of his letters, first few chapters, the first half, he's teaching truth about Christ. He's teaching truth about the church. He's teaching truth about who we are in Christ. And then the second half of the epistle, he's writing, how do we respond to that? In Romans, in the book of Romans, the first, you know, 11 chapters are all doctrine. The first chapters 1 to 3, it's talking about the sinfulness of man and how, how deep and ugly sin is and how ingrained sin is in who we are. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, it talks about the salvation that we receive through Jesus Christ. And because of our sinfulness, we need a Savior, and that's only found through Christ. And then we see in verses, in chapters 7, 8, and 9, how do we respond to that? If we respond, if we trust Christ, then what? Then we're going to be sanctified. We're going to be new. We're not going to want to continue to sin. We want to have this new creation. And then 9, 10, and 11 talks about the sovereignty of God of just how he's in control and how he's, in, he's over everything and we can trust in him. And then what? In chapter 12, he starts off with, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, if you know all these things, what? Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. And then he, the rest of the book is how does that, how does that work itself out? Here in the book of Hebrews, we're here in chapter 10. In chapter 10, verse 18, um, from up to this point, from Hebrews 1, 1, all the way to Hebrews 10, 17, it was doctrine. 
It's all about doctrine, about who Jesus is. And the author of Hebrews is writing to a gathering of believers who are struggling. They're struggling because they're being persecuted by others who are, who are trying to pressure them into going back to the Jewish practices in regards to that's what pleases God. And so these believers are struggling because there's these people saying, no, it's, we got to go back to the high priest. We got to go back to some of the rituals. We got to go back to the practices. And they're like, and we can be that way. Why? Because we want tangible things to make, make us feel like we're doing something for God. Thank you for singing greater glory, good and gracious king. That was so, what a setup for this message. I was just like, well, praise the Lord because empty-handed I come. We can't bring anything to God to save us. We can't bring anything to God to please him. But these people, but many people feel like, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, then God would be pleased. Many Christians fall into that. If I read my Bible enough, God will be pleased with me. If I go to church, if I go to midweek Bible study, if I go to this Bible study, if I go to here, if I go to everything, God will be pleased with me. Nothing you can do. It's that empty-handed nothing. But we want to get into these practices thinking, if I do enough of these things, God would be pleased with me. But look what verse 14 says in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That is a key verse in this book. Because Jesus throughout this book is being shown how he's superior to anything that the Jews believed in and that the Jews were following in, in the old covenant, in the old Jewish ways. And Jesus is being shown as being greater than all the angels, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than Joshua, greater than Aaron, greater than the high priest, greater than the old covenant. Jesus is being shown throughout chapters 1 until 10, 18, how Jesus is superior to all these practices, all these things that the people were thinking they needed to do because they felt like if I can do these things, then God would be pleased with me. And the author of Hebrews is saying, it's nothing about what you, what you do, it's about what Christ has done. Amen. And we have this new privilege and position before God because of Jesus Christ, not because of any acts or works that we do. And that is an important reality to embrace because when you realize that, it frees you. Community Bible Church, uh, a beloved place in, in my life. And um, I happened to, God in his providence allowed me to be a part of a group of young people who stepped into Grace Bible, I mean, Community Bible Church in 1984. And, you know, young college-age guys who you know, really, we're young in the Lord, just trying to find somewhere where we can go. Um, and in God's providence in my life, I got saved in high school around 11th grade. Um, my, my parents were Catholic, and they were pro um, prohibited me from going to Bible study, prohibited me from going to any church outside of the Catholic church. And, you know, so I went to Catholic church after I was saved just because that was the only church I can go to. Um, but by God's providence, when I graduated high school, for some reason, my parents say, well, you're the only one going to church. You can go anywhere you want now. I was like, really? But the problem was, 
we didn't know where to go. <laughs> we didn't know what church to go to. And God brought some people into the lives of the different guys that were, I got to be around, and we were, God helped us to learn about Community Bible Church. And we walked in that Sunday morning, and, you know, brash, arrogant, unknowing, 14, 15 of us, Filipinos, <laughs> walking into a mostly non-Filipino church. Um, we sat in the front row. And you could tell as we walk in, everyone's just sort of looking. And like, who are these people? And we sat in the front row. And I remember Steve just sort of looking at us. And, uh, but he preached Romans 8.1. If you could turn there for me. He preached from Romans 8.1 that, that morning. And Romans 8.1 changed my life. Because the sermon was on Romans 8.1. It says, therefore there, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Steve preached how if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you no longer have to fear being found guilty before a holy God. Amen. And I remember listening to him, and I was just like, what? He was like, there is no longer any condemnation. You have to feel guilty for anything. I was like, for anything. And he, if you know Steve, he was just amazing. Nothing. Nothing. And he was just going. I was just like bewildered by this truth. And he came down to greet us. And I, and I, I said something that I, later I, I know I shouldn't have said. I said, is that true? And he goes, what do you mean? What you preach, is that really true? And I was like, I, I, you're not supposed to say that to a preacher. Um, he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, we no longer have to fear being guilty before a holy God? He goes, no. Not if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Amen. That changed everything. Because I knew how much I sinned that week. And I was just like, how can that be true? And as we turn back to Hebrews chapter 10, and that's what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, what the reality of what that, what that verse is saying. Notice as we read it again, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified for all time. We're cleansed. We are forgiven. We don't have to feel guilty. Some of you are walking in this morning with a weight of guilt on your shoulders because of how you lived this past week. You know, you think going to a pastor's conference like the Shepherd's Conference, you know, hey, we're, we've been holy and sanctified so many times because of the sermons. No, we're beaten down because like, man, I'm a failure so many ways as you're hearing the preaching. But at the same time, we're rejoicing because we have a good and gracious king. And so, the author of Hebrews is wanting this church that he's writing to to realize this new privilege that believers have because they don't need these rituals. They don't need these practices in the sense to make them pleasing to God. And throughout the Old Testament, that is the tension that throughout the Bible that, you know, we're struggling with. How does a holy God allow sinful man to come in his presence? 
You know, that's what the, if you read the book of Leviticus, that's what the book of Leviticus is, is, is God giving, showing the, the people of Israel their sinfulness and showing them that through these rituals and practice, how sinful they are. And he gives, he talks about a little bit in the first half in this chapter 10, verses 118, that the priests had to daily and regularly have to offer sacrifices for sin. Why? Because we sin all the time. And it was just a reminder, a picture that that's how sinful you are. And you will never be perfect because of just these practices. And, and that's what these people wanted to go back to is these rituals and thinking, I have to do this and, and God would be pleased with me. But the author of Hebrews is wanting, to see, wanting them to see how Jesus is superior to anything of those practices in the Old Testament, that none of those things were going to make them perfect, where none of those things were going to cleanse their conscience. If you look in Hebrews chapter 9, if you could turn with me there for a moment, in just a chapter back. Notice verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 9, and he was talking about the sacrifices. He says, which is a symbol for the present time accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. There was nothing that, those rituals were maybe things that outwardly were saying that you could be somewhat forgiven, but it didn't cleanse your conscience. It didn't cleanse your soul. It didn't transform your heart. But notice what he says in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of the heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more would the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offering himself without blemish cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Christ is what allows us to be free, not only from the penalty of sin, but just the guilt of it in the sense that we think that we need to do something to redeem ourselves. We read how eternal redemption is found in Christ. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, the author of Hebrews wants us to realize this new privilege we have. And in response to that privilege, the practices that we should be doing. And so firstly, our new privilege found in verses 19 to 21. Notice what the writer says. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Notice this privilege that we have. Notice it says, therefore, brethren. And again, that therefore points us back to everything that was being taught from verses Chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 10, verse 17, or verse 18. Therefore, all these things that he has revealed and taught about who Jesus Christ is and how that right teaching is going to uh, impact the way that you live, understand who Christ is because when you understand everything that we received in Christ, you will understand this new privilege that we have, that we have access to the Holy God. Because he says what? Brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place or the holy of holies. And again, in, in the Old Testament, in, there was the tabernacle. And then once a year, um, 
the priest was, the high priest was only able to enter into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was only reserved for one person to enter in. Everyone else was locked out. And even that one person, that high priest, when he entered into the Holy Holies to offer the sacrifice on the behalf of the people, he knew that if he did not enter into, enter into the Holy of Holies in a worthy way, he could be struck dead. So even though he had access, he accessed, he went in with fear and trembling. It was scary. Because he knows he's not a perfect man. He may have been the high priest, but he knows he was a man who still committed sin. Was I worthy? Am I worthy? Even though I'm high priest, even though I have this position, can I? Can, you know, I'm scared. But notice what the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence... That word confidence means to speak freely. It means to just speak freely and not feel afraid of what people may say. Meaning that's how relaxed and confident and at ease you can be as you approach the holy God. You can have confidence that you have access to him. And he's writing to believers. He says, therefore, brethren. And he's writing to those who know Jesus Christ. And again, this is not for everyone. If you're here this morning... And you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to be fearful. You need to be afraid. You do not want to approach a holy God on your own merits. You need to be afraid. It's only those who know Jesus Christ the Savior. And they know Jesus Christ and they've cried out to Christ to save their soul. Why? Because God has revealed to them that what? I am a sinner. I am a sinner before you, God, and I am guilty before you. And because I'm guilty before you, I deserve to be punished by you. But I also know that you've given me your son. And that through your son, I can be saved and forgiven and washed and changed because of him. It's only those who are willing to cry out and cling to Christ and say, save my soul, change my life, make me yours. Can you have confidence? Because he's saying, therefore, brethren, notice, since we have confidence. Do you have confidence? Do you realize you can approach the holy God today? Some, some people have a hard time going to church when they know they've, maybe they had an out a good week, Right? It's like, oh, I don't know if I can go to church today. Oh, man, I should know that. You know, and then they miss one week. Then they miss, oh, man, I didn't go to church last week. People would say, they didn't go, don't go in the next week. And then that just becomes the pattern. Because man, people are going to look at me funny. Why haven't you been here? What do I say? And you, you just wear this guilt. Or sometimes because you know you haven't been following after Christ, you don't draw near to him. You don't read his Bible. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. Why? Because you're just, ah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a wretch, I'm a wretch, I'm a wretch. And yeah, you are. But the author of Hebrews says, if you know Jesus Christ, you have confidence. Amen. You can come and approach the holy God and to the people of Israel to hear that. Jews to hear that reality. If you were to ever try and witness to a Jew, an Orthodox Jew, Bring them to the book of Hebrews and just show them how the Bible teaches how Christ is superior to all the things and how all those practices in the Old Testament were, were a shadow pointing them to see the, how they need Christ and, and reveal to them and then bring them here and say, 
The Bible says you can have confidence and not fear in drawing near to a holy God. And notice it says brethren, not just one brother. Again, only the high priest had access in, in entering the Holy of Holies. Now he's talking to the whole church. He's talking to every believer. You all can have confidence to, to enter into the holy place. You all have access to the holy God because, notice, you have access to the holy place. Why? By the blood of Christ. That's the reason we can enter into the Holy of Holies. That's why we can approach a holy God. It's because what Christ has done for us. And it's his blood that has washed us clean. And notice, it's the, Christ is by his blood and he's given us this new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. This new, that word new, it's kind of a weird word in the, in the Greek. It means freshly slain, freshly killed and slaughtered. Well, who was freshly killed and slaughtered? Christ. He was the lamb that was slain. And he's giving not only a, this freshly slaughtered way, but what? A living way. Why? Because Christ is not dead like all those offerings in the Old Testament. Those were killed animals. Those were killed. They were, they were dead. But notice Christ is living. He's not dead. And we have access through his blood, this blood that was freshly slaughtered and this person that is alive. It's because of him that we, that he inaugurated through his flesh. This flesh that was experienced the, the punishment for our sin that was laid upon him. We can have confidence to enter into him through him because of him and what he brings to us. Charles Spurgeon says that that under the Old Testament, this ordinance that no man should ever go into the holiest of all, with one exception of the high priest, and he but once a year, and not without blood. If any man had attempted to enter there, he must have died as guilty of great presumption or of profane intrusion into the secret place of the Most High. Who could stand in the presence of him who was a consuming fire? This ordinance of distance runs all through the law for even the holy place, which was a, a vestibule of the holy of holies, was for priests alone. Those who refused Jesus refused the only way of access to God. Remember what Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. God is not approachable except through the rendering of the veil by the death of Jesus Christ. There was one typical way to the mercy seat of old, and that was through the turning aside the veil, and there was no other way. But there is now no other way for any of you to come into fellowship with God except through the torn veil, even the death of Jesus Christ, whom God has sent forth to be the propitiation for sin. Come this way, and then you can come freely. Refuse to come this way, and there hangs between you and God an impassable veil. Without Christ, you are without God and without hope. Realize through Christ this great privilege of being, having access to a holy God. Just consider that as you live your life every day. You can approach the Almighty God. You don't have to be afraid. You can have confidence. Are you confident? Are you fearful? Are you still doubtful? That's why you need to have right teaching about Christ. Again, if you understand Christ and who he is and what he's done, orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy, how you live, right practices.
If you're still fearful, then you're not fully embracing who Christ is and what he's done for you. Because not only has he given us access because of his death, but notice he says in verse 21, but we also can be confident because we have a great high priest over the house of God, over the church of God. We have a high priest that is advocating on our behalf, saying to God the Father as the Satan of the accuser is saying, look at that one. Look at what he's done. Look at Louis. Look how he's lived. How can he be yours? Just like he did in Job. And look at his sin. But we have Christ and said, no, my blood is upon him. He's, he's mine. Yes. Yes. He's, he's advocating on our behalf as 1 John chapter 2 says. He's advocating for us saying, no, they're yours. He's one of yours. She's one of yours. And we can trust in that, that even though I may be struggling in my sin, I can approach God, one, because of who, what Christ did for me, but also about what Christ is doing for me now. He is pleading on my behalf, saying before the Holy Father, I died for him. He is yours. How wonderful that is, that we have someone at the right hand of God pleading on your behalf, advocating on your behalf, and saying, no, they, they, know, they, they know me, and I know them. I'm their shepherd. That's my sheep. They're yours. That's why we can have confidence. It's nothing about us. I don't come here preaching this morning because I lived perfect this week. There was sin even at the shepherd's conference. Pride at the Shepherd's Conference. You know how we demonstrated pride at the Shepherd's Conference? And not humility. We reserved seats so that other people wouldn't have them. And then we reserve a whole row so no one else would join us in our row. And we're like, no, that's our seat. You know, and, and you look back, man, that's so dumb. That's so dumb. God, how can we be here? And, and we're in our pride thinking, I deserve to sit that close. And, uh, you know, it's just like... And then, you know, we're in, and there's, there's what, like six to 8,000 men. And so lunch line was long. <laughs> and so what do, what do guys do in line when it's long? Man, this line is long. Man, why is it going so slow? You know, again, pride, complaining, grumbling, you know. I had to put up with those guys. No, just kidding. You know, I, I, I'm not naming names. No, <laughs> no um, but, you know, we were complaining. We were grumbling. And, and so before I, as Angela invited me to come, I'm like, Lord, I'm not worthy to preach today. But you're allowing me to. And I'm trusting in that. Not because my life this week was perfect, not because I didn't sin, not because I'm anything of renown. I'm just your son. And right. Christ, I'm trusting what you've done for me. And Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm having confidence that you're pleading, before, pleading for me before the Holy Father. That's right. and, I, and I come to you this morning just as a servant to bring his word to encourage your soul. What has encouraged me? Because when you see this tremendous privilege that we have, and that we have this privilege of entering into this great, to the holy of holies, approaching a holy God because of what Christ has done and what Christ is doing. And it impacts the way that you live for him. 
And notice what he says, and he gives us three practices about how we should respond. And he says, and starting in verse 22, let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He says, since you know you can draw near, then what? Draw near. If you have access to God, then what? Go to him. If you can have access to the holy God, then why are you holding back? Approach him. Go to him. Plead to him. Draw near to him. Abide in him. Cling to him. You have access to the God Almighty. You have access to the holy God. Why are you holding back? If you understand the position that we have in Christ, that we have been given confidence to draw near because of Christ, then why are we holding back? We have three dogs at our house, and each dog has a different personality. And my wife spoils them, so they all love her, okay? Whenever she calls, whenever, they all run to her. When I call, they don't always. Because I'm the one that will, like, if they're barking too much, you know, you know for those of you who, you know, are very dog not wanting to spank type of thing, I spank my dog, okay? You know, if they're barking, you stop barking, you know? And, uh, you know, and so um, one dog in particular... Um, she likes to play, and when she wants to play, and I'm the only one home, she's like, okay, it's only him that's here, and I want to play. And I'm like, and, and, and the dog's name is Mocha. Okay, come here, Mocha, Mocha. And you can tell she wants to, and she's like wagging, but she'll, she'll like inch at a time. Like, and I'm like, Mocha, come, come. <laughs> I want to play, but can I really, or are you going to spank me? This is a trick. It's a trap. I know it. And you're going to have me drawn near it. And, uh, you're going to spank me. And you can tell it's like she's excited and scared at the same time. And it's like, Mocha, come. That's what God is doing for us through Christ. Come. Amen. John, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God is saying, draw near to me. You can have confidence and come, but we're like, can I really? It's a trap. You're going to punish me. You're going you're to condemn me. You're going to reveal all my sin. I can't. I can't. And it's like, come. And he says, draw near. Let us continually be drawing near. It's in the present tense, meaning this is what we do every day, all the time. What we are drawing near. And why are we drawing near? Why can, and what does that mean? It says to be drawing near. Notice what he says. Let us draw near with a sincere heart, a heart that loves Christ. Not a heart that's divided and thinking it's Christ and something else and Christ in my works, but it's a sincere heart, a genuine heart that loves Christ, that's trusting in Christ. But notice, in full assurance of faith, you're trusting in who Christ is and what he has done for you. The reason you approach is because you're, you're having faith that Christ is enough to allow me to draw near to the holy God. He says, full assurance of faith in what? Having our hearts sprinkled clean and even for, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed that you have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior, that's who you are and that's why you can draw near. And don't be afraid. If you know Christ is your Savior, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to approach Him in prayer. Don't be afraid. Cry out to Him in your struggle, in your sin and say, help me. Forgive me. I need you. If we understand who Christ is and what he's done for us and what he's doing, we'll realize, I can draw near to holy God. Yes. I, can, I can read his word and know that he'll speak to me. I can come and be with the people of God and worship him and he'll accept me. Are you drawing near to him? Are you still holding back? You know you can, but you still doubt. He says, with full assurance of faith about who Christ is, what he's done and what he's doing, draw near to him. 
Come close. Abide in Him. Cling to Him. But not only can we draw near, but He says what? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. He says, knowing what Christ has done and knowing what He's doing, not only should we draw near, we should be holding tightly and not letting go what? The confession of our hope. What is our hope? It's the gospel. It's the gospel that allows us to have access to the holy God. And we hold tight to that confession. We hold tight that the reason I'm living, the reason I'm drawing close is why? Because of who Christ is and what the gospel is to me. It's not, again, about what I've done. And the promise that we have received here, that I can draw near to him, that I can have access to the holy God. Why? Because of what the gospel is and who Christ is and what I've done and what he's done for me. And he's forgiven me. He's cleansed me. He's made me his. I'm a part of the family of God. I can cry out and call God Abba Father because of what? Because of Christ. And I cling to that confession. I don't let go of it. And the reason I can draw near to God is why? Because I'm clinging to this good news that I have been forgiven. That, I'm, that Christ is my Savior, that Christ is the reason that I can cry. I'm clinging to that, and I'm drawing there, and nothing's going to take that out of my hand because that's what I'm calling. Because why? And why should we cling to it? It says, this is the confession of our hope. We need to hold it without wavering. Why? Not because how strong you are, but because who you believe Christ to be. Because he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Why can you can have this hope? Because you are believing something true about Christ. That he is faithful to his promise. He's faithful to his promise that what? If you trust in me, I will forgive you. If you trust in me, I will cleanse you. If you trust in me, I will change you. If you trust in me, I will make you mine. We trust in his, in who he is and being faithful to the promises we have received through him. Again, it's nothing about us. I'm clinging to this confession, this gospel. Why? Because I know God is faithful to what he's promised, that my sins are forgiven. He's promised that I will be made new. I'm going to become like Christ one day. That's hard to see sometimes. Uh, Angelo was quick to point out that I was one of the older staff when he was in youth ministry. didn't appreciate that. Um, that means I've been a Christian for a while. And there are times like, God, I still am so far from your son. I am still so far from being who your son is. But you promise that what you've begun, you will complete. And I know that you're a faithful God to your promise. And I'm hoping in that. My wife is hoping in that. My kids are hoping in that. That I will become more like his son every day. Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you believe Christ is faithful? Then I'll cling to the truth and the promises that we have in the gospel. And that's what allows you to live out your life where you can be confident, free, not because you're living perfectly, not because you read nine chapters in your quiet time, not because you prayed for four hours before 5 a.m. It's none of those things. It's none of those things that make you spiritual, what makes you pleasing to God is who Christ is to you and how you're trusting in him to impact the way that you live. Because if you're drawing near to God, trusting what Christ has done and he's doing, and if you're holding, holding tight the gospel, then what can you do? You can do this third 
practice that he mentions. He says what? Then let us consider how to stimulate one another to loving good deeds. If you're, if you're drawing near to God and enjoying the intimacy of the relationship you can have with the Holy God, and if you're clinging to the gospel, allowing it to impact the way that you live because you're trusting in the promises of God and you're trusting in the gospel and allowing that to just fuel and, and flourish and just really feed your heart, then what? Then you can encourage one another. But notice what it says here. It says, let us consider, let us think hard. That's that word consider. Really be thoughtful, purposeful, and intentional. Notice how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not by accident. Now, hey, you know, if I go to church, let's see what happens, and hopefully I can encourage someone. <laughs> Did you pray this morning? As we go to church, as I come to service, if I prayed, if I planned, I prepared my heart and my life to what? Encourage someone. Because why? That's, that's what that means. If you're inter- experiencing this intimacy with the Holy God and you're clinging to the gospel, what you can come and you can really consider how I can be encouragement to someone this morning. It's not Angelo. It's not only Angelo that has to come and pray and prepare and it's because he's bringing the word on Sunday. Each one of you, because notice, it's not saying this word let us. It means all of us. Notice it's word us. It's not let him, not let Angelo. It's what? Let us. Amen. Let Amen. us consider. Let us think hard how to stimulate, provoke. That, that word provoke in some translations. And that word stimulate can have a, a negative or a positive sense. Negative, that word in the Greek means to irritate. You know, and some of you know how to irritate people. You know, and just, you know, like, hey, I'm good at irritating people and I look forward to doing that. And some of you even plan to irritate people when you come on a Sunday morning. You're like, oh, I can't wait to make fun of this person. I can't wait to say this to someone. You're like, oh, you're, you planned it. You're ready to be irritating. But how prepared are you to stimulate, encourage, move someone? That word stimulate means to move someone in such a way to move them forward, to stimulate. Notice, stimulate, how to stimulate one another to love. And good deeds to love and, and doing the works of love. Yes. How are you encouraging one another? Hey, how are you with Christ this week? How can I pray for you? Or I have been praying for you. How are you doing? How can I encourage you? Showing love and encouraging them to, to do the deeds of Christ or living for God. No, it's not forsaking our own assembling. Why? Because they were... It seems that this group of people were sort of taken for granted and not coming to the coming together. And, you know, and over the past few years, people have gotten comfortable not coming to church and, you know, taking live stream and thinking that's enough. It isn't enough. That's right. You need to come together. Why? Because this is where the encouragement happens, when we can be with one another, assembling together, enjoying one another, because it's not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. But what? Encouraging one another, building up, coming alongside one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Christ is coming soon. You look in the world, and he's coming soon. And we need to be encouraging one another. Why? Because we need it. We're struggling through the week. And we come here on a Sunday morning or whenever you can get together. Why? How can I encourage you, brother? How can I encourage you, sister? How can I be praying for you? What's happening? Hey, you want to get together for lunch this week and, and we could just talk and pray 
Or, you know what? You know what I read this week in my time in God's Word? This. And I just wanted to share this with you. Why? Because, man, that meant so much to me, and I thought maybe you might benefit from it also. It happens here because you're not going to get it at your work. You're not going to get it in your classrooms. You may not get it in your neighborhoods, but you can get it when a body of believers come together who want to draw near to Christ, who are trusting in the gospel, who are clinging to Christ, who are enjoying the access we have to the Holy God because we know Him, we love Him, and we want to encourage you to do the same. We can come together and do that, and we pray and plan and prepare to do it. Why? Because we need it. You need it. I need it. The Shepherd's Conference was a tremendous blessing for my soul. I needed right. much of what was happening in that, you know, those days. I needed it. Why? Because I'm going back, going back to my job, going back to life, and that needs to fuel and feed my soul. Yes. Coming together with you all, it was our desire to come and, and meet you guys and enjoy worshiping together with you all because I needed it for my soul. This is the blessing that the body of believers has is one another. Yes. Realize how important you are to each other. And realize that because of who we know Christ is and what he's done for us and what he's doing for us, understanding that privilege impacts the way that we live and the practices that we, 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 we demonstrate in our life. Are, we drawing near, are you drawing near to him? Are you drawing close to the holy God because of you know Christ is your Savior? Are you clinging to the gospel? Every day, just repeating the gospel to yourself. Why? Because it helps you, remind you of just what a blessing it is to know Christ is my Savior. It reminds you of who you are without Christ, what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, and it just feeds your soul. And you cling to that confession, not letting go. And then we're practicing encouraging and building up one another because we need it. We want, want to encourage you to what? Keep your eyes on Christ. Don't let go of the gospel. Don't compromise. Don't give in. Cling to him. Cling to it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Because he's writing to people who are considering abandoning the gospel and going to a former way of practicing religion. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't. Don't. It's not worth it. It's all fake. It's all futile. It's all vain. But Christ is everything. Is he everything to you? I pray that he is. And I pray that during this week, draw near to him. Spend time in the word. Let him speak to you. Yes. Draw near to him in prayer. Cry out to him. If the word is not making sense, cry out, God, I don't understand. I don't understand. Help me see Christ in this. Help me. Help me know how this changes, how I should change because what you're showing me in your word. Cry out to him. And then be around believers to encourage you so that you can keep your eyes on him. Why? Because he's worth it. He is so worth it. We have a wonderful Savior. We have a wonderful Savior. Cling to him. Cry out to him. Live for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son and what you have allowed him to be for us. And that God, that because of him, our lives are changed. We can approach a holy God even though we are 
We struggle with sin every day. But when we trust Christ as our Savior, Christ's death on the cross, his willingness to pay the ransom for our sin, his willingness to endure the penalty for our sin, when we trust in him for our forgiveness, God, you forgive us. You forgive us of all our sin. We no longer have to fear being guilty before you because of Christ. And because Christ is not dead, that he's alive, that he's pleading, advocating before us, before your throne. He's praying for us, sanctifying us, helping us to become more like him. God, help us to see your work in our lives. God, help us to be an instrument in the lives of others to help them become more like Christ. God, that you would receive the glory and that, God, that you would allow our lives to be such a light because of what you're doing that others would come to Christ because of that. Do a work only you can do for your glory, God. But help us cling to him. Help us not give him up. Help us love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.